You are listening to KXRY Portland 107.1 and 91.1 FM streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. You are tuned to Night School here on X-Ray. And this evening's program, I have the distinct honor of welcoming to the program The Seven Souls, an iconic (laughs) Albina and Los Angeles and even France-based group from the 1960s. I have on mic here Bill Diaz, Tony Lytle, and Henry Moore of the group. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's so great to have you all on today. Throughout the hour, we will dig into the history of the group uh, and beyond. I feel like with most programs, it's really nice to just get started with a cut and see how it sounded for our listeners here. Uh, this first song we're going to take a listen to is called Mind Your Business. Once again, you're listening to X-Ray FM, where radio is yours.
coat. I'm gonna get my stepping shoes. All right, once again, you heard it right here. X-Ray FM, we're listening to the music of The Seven Souls, a track called Mind Your Business. Quick shout out to Zach Erickson for uncovering that unreleased acetate recorded at Rex Recording Studio. The guy found it in a thrift store of all places, hanging out here in Portland. Once again, I'm with Bill Diaz, Tony Lytle, and Henry Moore of the group. Gentlemen, how does it sound all these years later? Oh, man, it brings back memories. <laughs> you were playing there, Bill. <laughs> yeah, and, and Henry Henry was singing, right? That was your lead. And then uh, I know you wrote the song. Yeah. With Mary Lee. That was one of our very first recordings ever. This is likely, what, 1963 or 4 when this was recorded? Got to be. 64. It would have been 64. 64, yeah. 64, yeah, that's right. Now, at this time, the group was not known as the Seven Souls quite yet. You were all called a different name. Could you tell us yeah. about that? We were Ivory Hudson and the Harlequins. And that name came from Ray Tuscan, our original guitar player. And it was kind of neat. Henry and Ivory and I were in choir at Portland State. Ray and I had been at University of Oregon, as, as well as Tony. Ray and I were back at Portland State getting our grades up so we could go back to Oregon because we sort of screwed up our grades. <laughs> and, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to get some of the guys together who I knew could play and just see how we sounded? So the next day, the original group got together for the very first time and we all jammed and we all instantly sounded better than any band I'd ever been with. <laughs> so I went out and bought a bass. We started just loosely jamming together. And then we were in choir and they're going to have a spring show. And the choir director one day said, does anybody here have a band? And these guys, Henry and I repoked me and I raised my hand. I said, yeah, we, we, we got a band. He said, why don't you play for our spring show? So now we had a place to play. So now we really got serious about some rehearsals. And the, the idea was we were going to close the show with a few numbers. So, man, we're, we're ready. So and, you know, this is at a time that mainstream America hadn't seen soul music. It was black music. And so here we are at Portland State, almost all white audience, a lot of girls in the audience. And we start with Night Train, James Brown's Night Train. Are you ready for the Night Train? Bah, bah. Are you ready for the Night Train? Bah, bah. Night. And then Ivory comes dancing out of the, off the, you know, on the stage, wearing shades, doing the James Brown steps. The girls start screaming. He throws his microphone up, twirls around, grabs it, does go down into a splits, comes up, does all the Night Train stuff, and the girls are going crazy. And then he goes to his knees and he does, please, 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 baby, please. Oh wow. And the girls just went nuts. So what ends up happening is they, they were supposed to file out after we're done. Lights came up. Instead of filing out, they all rushed the stage. And they kept saying, more. We want more. They wouldn't let us off the stage. We only had four songs. So we started playing the songs again that we played. And so after that, we went outside and we said, man, something's happening here something magical and mystical is happening here we got to keep this going and so that evolved into us going to wayne's house for practice him getting a ham and organ and us basically forming the nucleus that became the harlequins yeah right on this next one's called i'm coming home once again you're listening to x-ray fm where radio <laughs> is yours
All right, once again, sitting here with the Seven Souls, digging into some Portland history of the group. Now, as I understand it, you all kept playing throughout town here in Portland, and soon you'd be hitting uh, legitimate nightclubs. Paul Knowles, for example, of the Cotton Club, you know, he has on his wall uh, an awesome photo of the Seven Souls, and he speaks of the group fondly. I wonder if you could, at the very least, just remember something regarding the Cotton Club. Well, I, I just thought it was, it was just an amazing place, and Paul gave us so much support. As a matter of fact, we loved that club so much that even when we were located in L.A., we would get together one day, we'd say, let's drive up to Portland for the weekend and play Paul. We'd give Paul a call, and sure enough, he'd say, come on, come on up, and we'd play. It, it meant a lot to us. Yeah. Our yeah. first performance there was memorable. We, we auditioned in the afternoon, and Mary Lee started singing Stand By Me, Benny King's song. And a guy got up out of the audience and stood by Mary Lee. And Paul went nuts and he got on the phone with Geneva and they started calling everybody and said, you better get down here and see this group. And that's that was how we really got launched at the Cotton Club, was just bam, just like that. <laughs> when we moved to LA, the same thing happened. We were auditioning at the Californian Club. We started playing Stand By Me a guy in L.A. jumped up out of the audience, stood by Mary Lee, and the manager, Fat Maxie, went nuts. And, 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 and they're laughing because they remember Fat Maxie. We came to L.A. in 65, wasn't it? Yeah, 1965, summer of 65. Yeah. Bill, I remember you talking about in between, you know, your time at the Oregon State Legislature with Henry as a page and U of O. Could you, could you speak to the Eugene experience and, and how that figures in before you guys launched off? Yeah, I broke the color line at, at the Oregon Legislature in the House of Representatives. They didn't have any black pages in those days and I was the first. And then they had me bring Henry down. Henry and I were in Salem together and we can make free phone calls from the Salem State Capitol. So we were able to coordinate all the band movements in Eugene and Portland as we booked gigs. And we knew that we were headed south as soon as school was out, as soon as the legislative session was over. And we started making plans to go to LA. Maybe it'd be a good time to get a taste of what that LA sound was like. This is a tune called Got to Find a Way. Once again, you're listening to The Seven Souls here on X-Ray FM.
I don't know if you all remember Mr. Paul Knowles. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> What's happening? Oh, so great to see hey, you. Mr. Mayor. Mr. Mayor. Man, how are you you? Where did <laughs> all the years go? Oh, man. This is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really, how you doing? Oh, man. Good to see you. Man, you look younger every time I see you. <laughs> oh man, you know, you're only saying that because it's true. <laughs> you're lucky my granddaughter was here because she went and got her computer. <laughs> I so you got to figure out how to down myself, oh man. <laughs> I'm so glad that that worked out. You know, Paul, your name came up. We were just oh, in yeah. this interview, and I thought, you know, what a pleasant surprise it would be if we could get you on. I'm so glad it worked out. We um, we've just been kind of trying to do the radio thing, but over Zoom here. And uh, we're, we're finding our way. We just listened to a tune called Got to Find a Way. Oh, my God. <laughs> By the Seven Souls. We were talking about the Cotton Club, too. Yep. Maybe you could give us a little bit of an idea of what it was like having this group in the Cotton Club. Oh, my God. You know, it was the first group that we had with horns. And, you know, <laughs> horns are so beautiful. They make everything. You know, we had the organ, guitar, and drums, you know. Yeah. And uh, they came in, and, oh, my God, and things happened. As a matter of fact, uh, Louise Whitney, that used to play at the Cotton Club, she lives down in Vegas, and she called and asked me if I had any pictures, you know. She wanted to go over all the people that... Uh, you know, they went on to become famous, you know, of course, Eddie James and Big Mama Thornton. Of course, uh, old Thomas, now he's flying high. Oh my oh, God, yeah. I, I emceed a, a show for him on his 80th birthday. He was on stage for an hour and 45 minutes. old Thomas is for real. He's got a group called The Pain and they picked up him and they just started doing it. It was over 500 people at his birthday party at Revolution Hall at the old Washington High School. And it, oh, Bobby was there. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Is that yeah. really Bobby put it on. Yeah, <laughs> it was nice. It really, was awesome. really nice. Paul, it's great to see you. And and these guys, you know, Henry, Tony is is chiming in from the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, L- London here. <laughs> well, congratulations. That is just great. <laughs> we got Bill oh, in Portland, gosh. Henry in Vancouver. So, uh, yeah, this is an international affair here. We've been talking about, you know, the group when they left Portland, you guys wound up in Los Angeles. And we were talking a little bit about the music industry and what it was like uh, experiencing all that. Well, I can, I can only say that um, Larry Shane got us a deal with a company called Loma Records. In those days, radio was so separated. You had black radio and you had pop radio. Loma was uh, was Warner Brothers 
R&B label. And we had a fabulous producer, Russ Regan, and that was our very first recording. The, okay. the one we just listened to, uh, Got to Find a Way, yeah. Oh you know, maybe it, it would be good to, to hear the flip side of that. We could put it on for a sec. This is a tune that is the B-side. Uh, this one's called Groove In. Once again, you're listening to X-Ray FM, where radio is yours. Gonna have a groove Once again, the seven souls and groove in. Now that's a pretty smooth tune right there. Can you guys, who's on vocals on that one? Uh, Ivory. Ivory, yeah. Ivory yeah. Hudson. Would this have been like around 1966? Yes. The Loma recording, the, the deal was 1966. 1967, we were then picked up again by the R&B label of, of Columbia Records, which was called OK Records. Yes. And then the venture deal didn't come till 1968. So I don't... Oh, I, don't, I see. I see. Yeah. So yeah. the tunes we were just listening to were around 68. Yeah. And then, okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what would have been the original Loma recording. Would this have been the Mary Lee Whitney thing? I guess that would be the one thing that got released, you know, that we did with Mary Lee uh, singing on it and then us singing background. That was amazing time. I mean, we had 
Henry Mancini's publisher, Larry Shane, is our manager. We had Icantina's record label on Loma. We had the Righteous Brothers agent, Jerry Parencio, as our agent. We're living in Malibu. We're living the dream. And then <laughs> F.K. Lyndon Johnson decides to heat up Vietnam. And that's when things really changed. Oh, my God. Well, I, I have to add on a, on a very sad point, too. That was also the summer of the riots in L.A. Yes, the Watts and, riots. Uh, and, and, yes. and it created certain problems for us yes. finding work. In fact, in the middle of the riots, we worked a club down on Central called the Brass <laughs> Rail. The York with, Club. With, uh, with Edda James. Oh, okay. Wow. And that place got burnt down in the Watts Riot, and that's what cost us our job. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this is all, uh, you know, a little band that started in Portland. Wow, there's something to say for it. We do have a recording that snuck its way out of those Loma sessions, and this is a promotional copy of Mary Lee Whitney, uh, Don't Come A-Knockin' from June of 1966. Let's take a quick listen. Great. You're listening to Great. The Seven Souls, and... The honorary mayor of Northeast Portland, Mr. Paul <laughs> X-Ray FM. We'll dive right in. Here's Mary Lee Whitney.
You heard it from the source. That's again, <laughs> Mary Lee Whitney in the mix there. And you know, we're talking about the Seven Souls. We're talking about Los Angeles and the group went uh, heading on down there. Mary Lee kind of went on to do a number of other things, and some another member of your group too, Bob Welch. Could we talk about uh, those those two artists and and their kind of trip to stardom? I know Mary Lee connected with Stevie Wonder. Is that correct? Absolutely. She uh, she was a member of Wonderlove, the Stevie's backing. She recorded with Stevie and and performed with Stevie. With Stevie, yeah. And then Bob Welch. Bill, I remember you had an origin story of how Bob came to join the group. What I remember is that Tony would invite Bob to come up and see us play. We knew that he played a little bit of guitar, but he hadn't been in a band. So at one point we worked we had him work up a couple of Ray's songs and we brought him up on stage and we introduced him as the guitar player from Shindig, which was a big TV show on at the time. <laughs> and everybody got a kick out of Bob playing. And when Ray had to leave us, we were sort of at a loss. And then Henry and I said, hey, you know, Bob could come up and just play chords for a while till he gets the lead. If he wants to join the band, let's bring him in and train him. So we had Bob ride the Greyhound bus up from LA, stayed at Henry's house. And for like two weeks before we went to LA, Henry trained Bob and we worked Bob to death uh, and to got him up to speed to where he could get on stage with us and actually perform. And we started then, we went south. But anyway, Bob went from our band to Fleetwood Mac. And he was in the early days of Fleetwood Mac. And then he had his own solo career on Capitol Records where Ray Tuscan, our original guitar player, ended up working as an A&R at, at Capitol Records. And Bob had a single album hit called French Kiss, which sold a million copies as a single artist. And we didn't even know that Bob could sing when he was with our group. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> oh, boy. I want to jump in. You guys were talking about those releases on OK, and this is another uh, Rare 45 release. This is a great tune that you all recorded in Los Angeles. It's called I Still Love You, and I'd love for our listeners to hear a little taste of what the Seven Souls were doing. This is 1967. Once again, you're listening to X-Ray FM with the Seven Souls and Paul Mullen. <laughs> What you've done 
Once again, we're listening to the Seven Souls here on X-Ray FM with the Honorary Mayor, Mr. Paul Nell Sr. Not bad for a little band who started out in Portland. That is beautiful. <laughs> and those were Henry Moore vocals, too, by the way. That wasn't... I both, both of those, yeah. Both of wow. them. And Henry wrote both those. I co-wrote part of the first one. I had credit on one of the records as a co-writer, and then 
they sort of drifted off. But I, I remember the days that Henry and I were, we were trying to be the Lennon and McCartney of the group, but we, we, we didn't have a, that much time to, to get back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Of course, Bill, I know you were drafted before a lot of that really came to pass and the group yeah. would continue on there in Los Angeles. Henry, could you speak a little bit to, you know, recording those tunes, your songwriting and, and just memories of the band down there in Los Angeles? Well, the, the first one, uh, at the time, Motown was big. And uh, I was thinking of a large production. That's why I had all the strings in the beginning there. Uh, it pretty soon it came to pass that there was an opportunity to uh, go abroad. Sounds like, Tony, you might have an idea about how that came to pass. Would you be willing to speak to um, the Seven Souls in France? Well, we had a, a big fan of ours was a fellow named John von Neumann. He was a multi-multi-billionaire. Uh, he was head of... of of a little company called Volkswagen of America. <laughs> wow. And he used to fly his own Learjet up to hear us play. And he <laughs> said, um, I'd love to have you guys come and, and play Saint-Tropez one summer. And uh, we said, um, I think we might be able to just fit that in. But if, <laughs> and, and sure enough, summer 1967, we flew to Geneva, first of all, where his headquarters was. And we played a great club in Geneva and a couple places in France, in Antibes. And then we opened this brand new hotel in Saint-Tropez uh, called the Biblos Hotel and uh, played there for the season. And it was just fabulous, just fabulous. And that's what took us to France. And we did the same thing the following year. Visualizing what this looked like and you all in, in France, I can only imagine um, the type of opportunities that you had at that time. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of a couple of singles that came out around that time from French labels and it's mostly cover songs. Uh, perhaps yeah. we could put on one of those tunes real quick to just kind of get a flavor of what that all sounded like. Here's the Seven Souls performing Sam and Dave's Hold On, I'm Coming. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs>
Once again, you're listening to X-Ray FM. We've got the Seven Souls in studio, Mr. Paul Knowles. We're remembering uh, the great, great legacy of this group. Started in Portland, Oregon, moved on to Los Angeles, and now France. You've just heard a couple covers that came out on a French label uh, that the Seven Souls put out back in the late 1960s. Do any of you recall what how the French uh, populace received your music at that time? <laughs> I imagine it was pretty unique for those people out there. It was incredible. It well, was incredible. <laughs> it was all new to them. Uh-huh. It, everything we were doing, they'd never seen anything like it. There were no bands in Europe that performed the kind of music we were doing, that the, the stage performance, they just didn't exist. And to have the support of the head of Volkswagen of America, <laughs> didn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, was that the sort of thing? Were you bankrolled into being able to continue to do that for a number of years through that gentleman? Or uh, how did that uh, work? <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? No disrespect, but I mean, basically, he took a great deal of pleasure giving us this showcase to enhance his own reputation, if you like. I'm, I don't mean to be unkind, but uh, we had to work hard for the, on those jobs, too, you sure. know? It was it was uh, very, very glamorous and very exciting. We had to drive a lot of miles in that Volkswagen van that you just showed, Henry. And wow! So the Seven Souls just kind of take American soul music to Europe. You're performing the great standards of the time as well as some originals. I imagine at some stage you all move on, and next steps are taken by various band members. I'm aware of different records that came out afterwards. Can you kind of talk about how the band met its eventual next step, if you will? Well, as I remember, when we weren't traveling in Europe, we were working in the States a lot in Vegas. We uh, opened Al Hertz Club in New Orleans. We had a number of 
appearances at the Sands Hotel with various artists in Las Vegas, and and we opened Caesar's Palace uh, in 1968. And then as a recording band, I don't know if we've hit on this yet, uh, you all backed up a number of groups when you were in Los Angeles in the studio. Is that is that true? I mean, I, that's what I've heard, I, I think. We backed up a lot of people, not, not so much in the studio, as much in the studio. I mean, the Fifth Dimension, for instance, we backed them. We didn't record for them, but we backed them on a regular basis. Okay. And they, they, are, they remain good friends of ours. Okay. Yeah, you know, and, and thinking back on, on those times, I could imagine, you know, a lot of the foundation you received playing together, working as the Harlequins and the Seven Souls would go on to take you to various other career opportunities, musically and otherwise. Could each of you speak to what happened next for you after the Seven Souls was over? Well, let me jump in real quick because I was the first one in this group to leave and it was because of the, you know, heating up the Vietnam War and I ended up in the Marine Corps Reserve. So in 1966, when I got out of the Marine Corps training duty, I went back to college at Portland State and I finished my degree in political science in 1968, just as the TV stations were opening the, up the color line. They were breaking the, the, they didn't have any black reporters. And so I got word that Channel 6 and Channel 8 were looking for black reporters. And I ended up being interviewed by both in 1968 and they both offered me jobs. But KGW, Channel 8, also had a radio station. And they said, we'll put you on the air next week. If you sign, if you come to us now, we'll put you right on the air. So I launched my broadcasting career as a reporter for KGW Radio and they sent me to Columbia. When I got back, they put me on television I'm going to go real quick here. Then I went to L.A. At one point in L.A., I did some major reporting for the CBS station, and I ended up with this great gig where I did a thing called For the Record. It was a record review feature, behind-the-scenes look at the music business that I created, and we did people like The Supremes, The Temptations, Neil Diamond, uh, Roy Rogers, Lawrence Welk, Henry Mancini. I mean, basically, we did a who's who of everything that was happening on the music scene. And I ended up singing a duet with Neil Sedaka. I ended up, <laughs> I ended up on a record. Uh, I'm on Leonard Cohen album that Phil Spector produced, credited, singing background on the Leonard Cohen album, Death of a Ladies Man. And the other singers with me were Bob Dylan and the poet Allen Ginsberg. Um, that was my afterlife after the, after the Seven Souls. I had a really successful broadcasting career coming out of the Seven Souls, but I always missed the Seven Souls. I'll say that. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, yeah. I can verify that because I saw Bill ducking behind cars <laughs> from that broadcast <laughs> down there. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I know there's a, a second life for all of us. And Henry, for example, I found out about a record that you did after the Seven Souls, a group called Head West. Head, right. Uh, yeah, Bob Welsh and Bobby Hunt, who was on uh, Hammond B3. And uh, we had a, a massive amount of amps on the stage. <laughs> you, would think, you would think we were a rock band. <laughs> remember those, remember those Phaloin amps? And we played together for a couple of years. And uh, my wife, she got tired of Europe, so I moved back to the States. And I, <clears throat> I went with a company called Hostess Cake. And I formed a uh, 
executive position with them for almost 30 years and retired from that. Right on. A fabulous band. Now in that group, I switched from saxophone to drums. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Tony, what kept you in London all these years? Well, I um, I came, I, I reached the point where I wanted a job. I wanted a job that paid a salary. And the lawyer, the lawyer of the, of the Seven Souls was a fellow named Mickey Shapiro. And so I told Mickey, I said, look, I've been running around looking after lots of different acts and I'd like a job. And if something comes up, let me know. So he said, uh, what do you know about music publishing? And I said, well, not a lot, but but I'm a quick learner. And he said, well, there's a job in London with Arista Records in music publishing. And I said, I'll take it. <laughs> and that developed to a position as head of marketing for RCA Records in the UK. And then I moved into home video and then film and television. And for the past 30 years, I've been distributing films and television programs internationally. Wow. And, st- wow. and still doing great. it. Fantastic. <laughs> no Congratulations. Yeah. That's so cool. It's always so interesting. I mean, when you start uh, with a narrative that goes back over 50 years, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot that happens, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 50 years. <laughs> but those those tunes still remain. And, you know, every time we hit play, it, it always sounds the same. Okay, well, I'll you tell guys. you, it, it was very, very happy time working together you know and music even though i've i'm you know not not directly involved with music anymore it's still a part of my life every minute of every day yeah yeah bill let me tell you a little bit about bobby bobby he's he's amazing first of all but he went through all the libraries and got all of the old newspaper advertisements of bands that had played in Portland oh, in the 70s oh, and 80s. Oh, <laughs> and he found a place to put them, which is Clyde's Prime Rib. He got them all on about 18 by 24 pictures that they got on the wall at Clyde's. And it's just picture after picture of people when they were, you know, 25 years old. <laughs> Everybody's past 50, 60 now. But uh, it's really going to be something when they finish with it. But Bob is just amazing. He came up with some stuff, some pictures of people, old newspaper advertisements about a show that was going to happen or something in the park. You know, Bobby, you tell them a little bit about that. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, you know, the namesake of the, of the show, you know, we get it from the Cotton Club. It's called Wall to Wall Soul is the Woo! name of the, <laughs> this, this artistic... That was the Cotton Club. That was the right? Cotton Club. Yeah, you know, and what we did is we, we, yes, we went through not only newspapers like the Oregonian, Oregon Journal, but even just more like neighborhood newspapers and kind of put everything together so you could read a little bit about the groups as they were written about back in the day. We cobbled together some photography and basically it's just like an art show, you know, kind of museum style for the soul musicians of the 1960s through 80s in Portland. We were very fortunate Clyde's Prime Rib reached out and they helped to fund this idea. So we're so excited. We got everything on the wall. I called Paul up. I said, hey, let's, we're going to have a little opening just, you know, from for the folks internally. So we all got together. Some of the musicians are in the house. And we had this opening, it was really great, beautiful evening. 
Well, the next day the pandemic hits and everything closed down. And so this show is still on the wall in the back room at Clyde's and it will be there in perpetuity as far as I understand. Uh, we just got to get healthy so we can get in there um, safely and, and experience it. You have, to, you have to remember that that's there when we can go out because I can't go in a restaurant where the waitress is wearing a mask. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> Tell it like it is. <laughs> Well, you, you all, it's such a pleasure to have you on today. Once again, we've been listening to The Seven Souls, Bill Diaz, Tony Lytle, and Henry Moore, all tuning in via Zoom. Tony from the UK, Henry from Vancouver, Washington, Bill from here in Portland, and the honorary mayor of Northeast Portland, Mr. Paul Knowles from right in the heart of Albina. Uh, gentlemen, what a pleasure it is to have you on today. And I thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Well, thank you very Tony much. Bill. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so happy you called me, Bobby. That's really great. I'm, I'm happy to see everyone. Yeah, same here. That's a real blessing. Yeah. You know they call it Stormy Monday. Tuesday was just as bad.
Thank you.